The following talk was given by Bear Gokhan Bonabakar at Zen Mountain Monastery. Gokhan is a senior monastic at the monastery, where he serves as director of operations. He also oversees the monastery's burgeoning fruit orchard and helps run the National Buddhist Prison Sangha. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. The Buddha taught suffering and the cessation of suffering. He taught the truth of causality because this arises, that arises. He taught that suffering arises from desire, from craving, from attachment. And that because suffering arises from a cause, there's the possibility of its cessation. And he taught the path, the way, that leads to non-attachment and to the liberation of suffering. And in this first teaching, this first turning of his teaching, he said that the truth of suffering is to be understood, that the origin of suffering is to be abandoned, the cessation of suffering is to be realized, and that the way is to be, to be developed. The seniors and monastics have been studying a, a new book by Bill Waldron, and in the first chapters, um, he's kind of just introducing us to Buddhism, and um, but in his in 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 laying out the the four truths, he um, he includes these these steps, this part that we don't always hear. That suffering is to be understood, desire and attachment abandoned liberation realized, that the way is to be developed, that this, this is our practice. This is bringing the teachings into our own experience, which is where they're meant to be, into the intimacy of our own mind. Bill Waldron um, points out that the what is usually translated as truths, so in the noble truths, that that word, that Sanskrit word, also means reality or actuality. He translates the, the noble truths as ennobling realities. These truths that the Buddha taught are realities which we mostly fail to see as they are. And this is true for everyone. Are they? Do we want to see this for ourselves? Hojin Sensei, um, at the beginning of the week, talked to the residents, um, encouraging us, and said that it's, it's for us to see for ourselves whether the Buddhist teachings are true. I was remembering a long time ago, Shugen Roshi saying that practice is simply continually deepening our understanding our appreciation of the, these four truths and that they are to be understood, realized, developed.
when I feel like when I hear the Four Noble Truths, it's like the, it's not so hard to understand, right? Kind of anyone can read them and understand them. And sometimes I, I also feel a real question. It's like, what is he talking about? What is he pointing us to? It can't be so simple. And so I wanted to look particularly at suffering, dukkha. Suffering is to be understood. What is suffering? When we chant, may all beings be free from suffering and the root of suffering, what are we saying? What is suffering and the root of suffering? And the basic formulation in the Buddhist teachings is that birth is suffering, aging is suffering, illness is suffering, death is suffering. Union with what is displeasing is suffering. Separation from what is pleasing is suffering. Not to get what one wants is suffering. In brief, the five aggregates subject to clinging are suffering. Buddha Gosa, who's an early Buddhist commentator, says it's impossible to tell it all without remainder, showing each kind of suffering, even if we went on doing so for eons. It's almost like he's telling a little bit of a joke. (laughs) And so in short, the Buddha said, it's the five aggregates subject to clinging. And Buddhaghosa actually goes on to some length enumerating why birth is suffering, why aging is suffering. And then he says, but we could go on forever. The five aggregates, form, feeling, perception, volitional formation, consciousness. This is the closest thing that we can find to a self. the aspects of our experience that, um, that make up what we sense to be ourselves. And so we have this form, this body. We come into contact with things, internal and external. And we have feeling, like, dislike, indifference. We have perception simply identifying things. We have some response, volitional response based on karmic formations, causing karma, and there's consciousness. And this is what we identify with as me, mine, myself. And so the Buddha is saying, ultimately it's this sense of self these aspects that we cling to that are the root of suffering. And I always kind of have a question here when I run into the aggregates. It's like, I don't quite get this. I don't quite get this. And it's a pointer. The Buddha is saying, this is the root of it. Ultimately, this is where all suffering arises. And to be, so to be free of suffering, we need to see into this 
understand this, see through this. Part of the pointer that I see here is how subtle this is, how deep this is. This is what we're studying. This is what is to be understood. For the Buddha, I would say for humans in general, suffering is is the spiritual question. Why do we suffer? How do we address this? How do we meet this? I hear that in Dogen's question. If we're already enlightened, why do we have to practice? If we're perfect and complete, as Dada Rush used to say, always will be, always have been, why do we suffer? Isn't this what brings us to practice? Something is not quite right, or really not right. I don't feel in my, not in my life. Something is missing, and I don't understand. What is that? And why is it that so many people seem to be unconcerned about this, and yet clearly don't know what's going on? That was a big part of my confusion. So what we usually translate as suffering is dukkha. Some other translations which I think are helpful are dis-ease or unease, dissatisfaction, disappointment, anxiety, stress, unreliability. It's helpful to expand the meaning and expand that word. Sometimes suffering feels more dramatic than what I'm feeling. Sometimes it feels apt. These other tones can help us to understand our experience, come into contact with what we're experiencing. Bhikkhu Bodhi says, sometimes this unsatisfactoriness, dukkha, erupts into the open as sorrow, grief, disappointment, or despair. But usually it hovers at the edge of our awareness as a vague, unlocalized sense that things are never quite perfect. It's not always out in the open. So we can not see it. We can leave it hovering at the edge of our awareness and just ignore it, try to ignore it, distract ourselves from it. We might have to work pretty hard at that sometimes. We can kind of numb it or numb ourselves so that we don't notice it. This keeps us from being free, the Buddha said, not seeing the truth of suffering. I was remembering quite a few years ago during Open Sozan at the end of Sishin, um, a young woman who was in residence, had been in residence for a few months. She was from Israel. And in Open Sozan, she said, you know, that she had been here for a while listening to the 
hearing the teachings, hearing about suffering. And she was like, this isn't suffering. Where I come from, we have suicide bombers and sectarian hatred. You don't know when you might lose a friend in the marketplace. She said, that's suffering. That's her experience of suffering. But she said that during that week of Sashin, she had met suffering in her mind. She was like, oh, now I know what you're talking about. And I remember her story in part because of her life experience, that, that very real suffering that she had experienced before coming to practice, to sitting, to seeing that in her mind. Knowing that fear. Because I haven't really known that, I've had a pretty easy life. And there's so much suffering. There's so many people who are suffering. Where does all of that come from? And so this study that the Buddha is inviting us to take up is not other than that. Where does that come from? Where does that arise? What is the source of it all? Understanding its origins and seeing how it rolls out from us. Our hurt and disappointment. And I take that sometimes as motivation. Wanting to understand here directly in order to understand what what is all of that suffering that I see around me. And also in seeing how my suffering doesn't stay inside of me. When you're suffering, what are you offering the world? What am I offering the world? This is a hard lesson I have found to start to take responsibility. To see that. Seeing that in just a simple way. I had some um, pretty bad poison ivy on my hands and my, um, between my fingers. Um, and, you know, I, I sort of had, was already thinking about this talk, so I was thinking, well, I, this should really be a helpful, just be able to, like, learn something here. But really just what was clearest was um, shown was like, oh, that's why you're so grumpy, <laughs> right? And so just having that, like, that effect, right? My, like, this not-so-bad suffering that I'm experiencing, but it's having an effect not just on me. It's going out. And I've always remembered this woman's open sozon because she said that it was in sitting with her mind that she truly recognized suffering. 
founded in her own experience directly. So, sitting in Zazen this week, all these many periods of Zazen, how have you encountered suffering? When your body has been hurting, has that led to suffering? Was that suffering? When you were sleepy and struggling with sleep, not wanting to struggle with sleep, maybe judgment around that, when you've been caught up in thoughts, not able to let them go, not able to settle your mind? Has it been in judgment, judging yourself, judging others, boredom? Has the week not met your expectations? Is there disappointment as we come to the end of the week? How about the periods that you have spent in pleasurable thoughts and daydreams? Was that suffering? We have this opportunity to look very directly at the experience, our own experience of dukkha. This mind that I'm meeting Why is this, how is this suffering? Is this suffering? What is it that I'm meeting, that I'm experiencing? How should I meet this? How can I meet this? Jack Kornfeld, um, in talking about dukkha, he kind of emphasizes how we how we run from dukkha, how we want to get away from suffering. How this running pervades our lives. How much energy we put into trying to cover it over, trying to get away from it, trying not to feel it. (coughs) Isn't this what Sashin shows us takes such courage just to sit still and be with our mind, to not turn away. And sitting with our mind to see how much we turn away, how much we distract ourselves. What is it that we're trying to avoid? Kornfeld says, The point of all Buddhist meditation is to direct us us back to the fact of our suffering. Because that is what keeps us running. Facing it directly, we can come to freedom. So taking our seat, or stopping, so that we can face our mind. Study dukkha. I think of, of Yukon, I hear him when people ask him about coming to the monastery, he says, this is where he, that he said to himself, this is where I stop. This is where I stop. And it's not dependent on place. There is nowhere else to go. 
Where do we stop? And taking our seat, stopping, still we run, still we distract ourselves, turn away. And that's okay, that's what, that's our mind's habit. It is doing what is used to doing. And so we can study this, work with this. Bhante Gunaratana, who's a Theravadan teacher, he says that we have to arrive at disappointment with suffering. And I kind of paused when I read that because I think of, well, we need to find disappointment with our distraction, with our the things that we turn to for pleasure. And I think really that's what he's saying. But it's helpful to hear it in this different way. The grasping, the running after, that is dukkha. And so we can, can we see the suffering in that grasping, in our pleasure? To see that in our mind, really look closely here. This is where dukkha and the cause come together. Dukkha is to be understood. The Buddha said the cause is to be abandoned. I would say it also needs to be understood. That's part of our study. We need to know that directly. And so I experienced this, so this disappointment with desire. So to look however it is that you console yourself in your mind during a period of zazen. However it is that you choose to turn away fantasy, sex, sleep, food, irritation. How is it when you have turned to this consolation? How do you feel? How is it? When you come to the end of a period of zazen and you've been in that consolation, that daydream, how do you feel then? Are you satisfied? Are you connected with your life, inside your life? I've talked about this before. This was a real turning for me when I started to see that, ask myself that, feel that, and start to realize, start to be disappointed, start to be disenchanted with these things that I was so enchanted with. We are so enchanted by our thoughts. How do we become disenchanted, disappointed? So I think it's helpful to notice what are your tried and true go-tos. We all have them that you go to over and over again. When is it that they arise? Is it when you're in pain? When you're getting close to something that's uncomfortable? 
and to see what is it, what is your tried and true, what do you turn to? Sometimes it's something that feels pleasurable. Sometimes it's something that may not feel so pleasurable. It's anger, it's irritation, it's blaming. And to look closely, does this arise, just arise? Does it arise on its own? Where does it come from? Can we see that we bring it, we create it? Why is it that we you know, the things that don't feel so good, we keep turning to them. Even if, even if it's uncomfortable, it's familiar. And whether it's a pleasurable daydream or it's anger and irritation, the teachings tell us it's dukkha. How is it dukkha? Why do we keep picking it up? How can we become disenchanted, disappointed? In the Faith Mind poem, it says, when the mind exists undisturbed in the way, nothing in the world can offend. And when a thing can no longer offend, it ceases to exist in the old way. How is it that things disturb the mind? How have you experienced this this week during sitting? How is it that they offend us? And again, it's not just so, in this case, it's not just when they irritate, when they upset, that the mind is disturbed. Grasping and aversion are really two sides of the same thing. Wanting is suffering, and wanting something to stop is suffering. Not wanting. How is it that the mind is no longer disturbed, that something no longer offends? The same thing. Has it changed? What has changed? We haven't gotten very much fruit in the orchard this year. There's an Asian pear tree that is tall and beautiful. I and others have nurtured it over the years. And I've been watching it as the pears got a little bit bigger and got a little bit bigger, filling out. Looking forward to sharing them, tasting them. And then one day they were all gone. Not a single one left. 
I was disappointed, disheartened. I think it was raccoons. And so, where does the suffering lie? It's not in the tree, or the missing pears, or the raccoons. So I was looking at the teachings on dukkha, You know, there's this place where I think there's some confusion where we can kind of mishear the teachings. So impermanence leads to suffering. But impermanence is not the problem. Impermanence is just the way things are. Birth and aging and death and sickness I've always had this question, well, why is that suffering? Why is birth suffering? That's just life. That's just the stages of our life. In themselves, how can they be suffering? How are they suffering? They're not suffering. So where is the stuff suffering? How is it that they become suffering? So this is what we can study closely, slowing down, slowing down so that we can see clearly. And the repetition, so that we can see, to see our attachment, to see that directly, to feel when you're attached, when you're stuck, bothered, wanting. How does this happen? Is it in the first reaction, the first like-dislike? So when the story starts, how do we loosen this? We loosen this. We're constantly being pointed to this too. All of our practices of just do this one thing. What do we learn when we just hear the bell? When we just taste a bite of food? And as it fades away, the taste fades away. It just fades away. No disappointment, no wanting more. I was remembering a Dharma encounter with Daida Roshi again a long time ago. I think that I was pretty kind of like brand new to practice, and I remember someone up here. And um, I can't remember what it was about, but at the end, Dido said, and are you ready to let go of your suffering? And of course, the person was like, yes, yes. But I remember hearing that and being like, oh, that is an important question. And I'm not sure that that person knows what he's just been asked, kind of, or why he was asked. 
I think maybe I knew even then how identified with my suffering I was. My loneliness and confusion and pain were suffering and that was who I was and it kind of felt special. And as it gets more subtle, still this struggle is of who I am. Are we, can we allow ourselves to change, to move into what is unknown? I've been looking at this in session, both the fantasies that come up, the daydreams that I turn to, some of them are so old and there's, it's like, I know to be disappointed and like, they're still enchanting sometimes. Like these things that happened so long ago, I was remembering this, this will be brief, this staff meeting at the end, it was like the last day of a teaching job that I had and I was leaving and there was an argument about something, a conflict about something. And I was like, oh, I could speak to this because I'm leaving because I have some perspective. And I didn't say anything, but like after that, I like imagined what I could have said and it would have been noble and, <laughs> and, and I, and it was, and I was so stirred by what I might have said. And I still can get so stirred by what I might have said <laughs> 20 years ago. And also looking at the kind of confusing states of mind, the, the, the moods, maybe they are. You know, I think I've been, I've been talking some about self-doubt recently because I've been seeing it in, in, a, in, a, kind of in a new way and it's, it's subtle, it's elusive, it's sneaky. It's like it sneaks in and then it's my view. Then it's like, that's the view, that's, that's, that's how I'm seeing myself, feeling myself, experiencing myself. I notice it with, I have like this process with giving a talk. It's like the beginning of the week. I have like, okay, I think I'm, I'm, not, I'm gonna, I know what I'm gonna talk about. This feels kind of juicy. And I start working on it. And then there's a point where it's like, oh, I can't talk about this. Or I've said this before. Or like, I'm, I'm just like, I can't really talk about this. Or I'm a fraud. Or like, it's like this, this, it sort of sneaks in. And it's like, just changes everything. And I know, I know that this always happens. So like, I, I, I know what's happening and yet there's this confusion. And I think I know from experience, I do know from experience that I am creating this. And still it has, it's still, it, it colors my view, it is, becomes my view. I was trying to really take in what Shugan 
Roshi said yesterday about doubt and confidence, how they can both be there at the same time. Because I know, I trust in a way I've always trusted and I've always doubted and I continue to doubt. How do we be with that? How do we loosen that, navigate that? I had an image of playing dodgeball in middle school and my friend Paul, I think he was the last one. And I just remember him standing in front of the wall. This was dodgeball where we just line up and someone would throw a ball at you until everyone had gotten picked off. I thought it was really fun. Um, and so Paul, I just remember Paul standing there and he was the last one and he was kind of winded because he had been like, you know, dodging all the balls. And he just had this big smile on his face and he was just like, he knew he was going to get tagged eventually because he was the last person, but he was just like smiling and dodging. And I've been noticing how in Sashin, when my mind settles, how kind of solid, like thingy things pop up. It's like, what project should we do next? Right? As my mind settles, as things get quiet. And just looking at that, why is that quiet, unnerving? Why do I feel that? How do we allow our minds to be, become accustomed to being quiet, to being content, clear, present? How do we kind of get used to moving into not knowing, moving into being in a different way where we're not struggling? We're not recreating. You know, there's a certain power in simply turning towards dukkha, simply sitting down and turning towards. a certain freedom that comes just from that. Last month someone asked me how Sashin was and I was sort of like, eh. But you know, Sashin is always good if we practice sincerely, even when it's hard, and sometimes it's hard. It's always good because we're turning towards, towards the truths of our life.
So I wanted to end with, um, while everyone is here, um, um, I just wanted to express some gratitude. I was um, reading something about um, Kaliya Mitra, which is a term that we don't hear very much. I, I think it's a Pali term. It means spiritual friend, means teacher, mentor. I first encountered it when someone um, uh, sort of tracked me down, someone who I knew a little bit in college, and he was like, you know, you were my, one of my Kaliamitras, one of the people who inspired me. And so I also think that that's part of what it means. It's, it is the people who inspire us on the path. The path is to be developed continually. And so we need inspiration. We need help. It's so important to do this together. And um, I wanted to say this while all of, all of us were here because um, some of you um, who I can not really see right now have inspired me recently and I wanted to um, let you know that, um, that in, you know, even um, through Zoom um, you know, we don't know how we inspire each other. Um, and so we should know that our, our practice um, may reach further than we think it does, touches more than we think it does. It's good to practice together. And we have some more hours of this session. So let's use them well. It could be a tender time, this transitional time, precious time. And then what follows is precious. Thanks so much for listening. For meditation supplies such as meditation cushions, incense, malas, liturgical instruments, books, and more, visit the Monastery Store at monasterystore.org. Support for your spiritual practice at home.